0: Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots. I'm James Heal and I'm joined today by The Spectators Kate Andrews and Lucy Fisher, the Whitehall Editor of the Financial Times. Now, first of all, Kate, we've got some exciting inflation news out today. What did it say?
1: Well, we discovered that inflation on the year to January stuck at 4%. That is still double the Bank of England's target. It's above where it should be. But the good news is that the bank and economists were expecting that number to tick up slightly to around 4.2% was the consensus. So the fact that it stuck has been received as as generally speaking positive news. It's interesting to think about expectations in this scenario because over in the US uh, this week we saw that inflation fell uh, from 3.4% on the year to December to 3.1% in January. So a fall Nearly a full percentage point below where the UK's at. But because people expected a bigger fall, everyone's been saying, oh gosh, you know, it's all heating up over in the US, prices may start rising uh, more substantially here in the UK where the inflation rate is higher, people are going, oh, actually, things are better than we thought. Um, and look, th- there there's some positive news here. It suggests that the trade disruption in the Red Sea has not been uh, as disastrous as, as some people initially feared when it comes to domestic prices. Uh, I think that's really a, a nod to what was learned during the COVID years when it comes to immediate shakeups to supply chains, when you have to work around things. Clearly, a, a lot has been learned on that front. We continue to see a slowdown in food prices. So that's really good, you know, for those who are managing their, their weekly and, and monthly budgets. Um, the optimists are already out saying this means, you know, the Bank of England can look to cut interest rates sooner. And I wouldn't get too optimistic about that. Uh, the governor of the Bank of England, Andrew Bailey, has been very clear that he needs to see inflation coming back to target for the medium term, something that's sustainable rather than something that it just hits uh, because the bank fears that inflation may take up slightly towards the end of the year. Um, the markets are predicting interest rates cuts this year, but the bank keeps saying, don't get too excited. Don't think this is going to happen sooner rather than later. We are not where we need to be yet before we can meaningfully cut rates.
0: Kate says there about optimism, Lucy. Uh, you've been up in Wellingborough. How optimistic <laughs> should the Conservatives be about holding that seat?
2: Well, it was really extraordinary, uh, James, being in Wellingborough yesterday for the day uh, just how low-key the Tory campaign has been. I spoke to um, gloating insiders from both the Labour and Reform UK camps, who some of whom said they've seen not a single Tory activist on the campaign trail. Um, a- another uh, member of uh, Reform said that one lone um, poor sod from Surrey council um, had come up to co- campaign at the weekend and at the end of the day had been so bereft searching for some someone else to go for a drink with that this Tory councillor had actually joined the 60-odd uh, Reform <laughs> campaigners in the pub. Wow. Um, so I've just been very struck... Um, By that, and also reports that there's been very little Tory campaigning on the ground in um, Kingswood. Um, And why that is, you know, speaking to some Conservative MPs, they say, look, you know, normally we're asked by the whips to go between one and three days of full campaigning for a by-election this time it's been completely voluntary which has inevitably meant that people you know largely haven't bothered and you know some on the right of the party think that you know this is the party chiefs trying to reduce expectations and therefore reduce salience of these two by-elections i'm not sure that is going to work if it's a route for the conservatives on friday i think you know it's going to yeah. be a very difficult day for rishi sunak you know others speculating that perhaps it's the case that you know party chiefs are worried about you know, forcing MPs to get out on the campaign trail and hearing just how discontented uh, many voters are. But it it is striking, especially in Wellingborough, where Labour boasts that they've had over a hundred of their MPs come to campaign, many front benches. Starmer was up there yesterday, Rachel Reeves, many other members of the shadow cabinet. It has been just a tiny clutch of ministers and MPs for the Tories. uh, And even some of those haven't deigned to advertise their presence on social
1: media.
0: And Kate, uh, talk about grounds for optimism there. I mean, we've got some more economic forecasts out tomorrow. Tell us what they expect to say.
1: So uh, despite Parliament being in recess, this is a a big week. And one of those reasons is because you have several economic hurdles that the government has to jump over before you even get to these by-elections. One was today, and arguably from a realistic perspective, the inflation figures went as well as they could. Tomorrow could be a different story. We have the provisional growth numbers out that are going to give us some numbers around what happened in the uh, fourth quarter of last year. And we know that in the third quarter, the Economy contracted ever so slightly by 0.1 percent. If it is the case that we see another small contraction at the end of last year, then that will mean that we have met the technical definition of a recession, and every headline is going to be. U.K. in recession. Um, Now, look, this will be almost certainly within the margin of error. And it could be, you know, 0.1% contraction. It could be 0.1% growth. You know, the, the irony about this technical definition is that if we have absolutely no growth in the last quarter of 2023, we will not be in recession. So, you know, we can raise questions about how helpful this metric is. If we are in recession, it is likely to be very shallow and quite short. But it is a huge political headache because even if these figures were to be revised later on, um, all you would remember is that the Tories oversaw a recession long after COVID, right? There would be a lot less to, to blame things on. You could try to blame the war in Ukraine and inflation. You could say interest rates had to go up. We've been trying to take some heat out of the economy, but... Given the fact that people have felt so much pain, mm. and this could end up uh, being a very painful moment. No guarantee it'll happen. I'm sure the podcast tomorrow will have your updates. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I think ministers will be crossing their fingers today that whatever news they get tomorrow is as lucky as the inflation news was today.
0: And Lucy, of course, that's very important because the Conservatives now seem to have settled on competence, economic credibility square one with Labour etc as their kind of key message going into this so the next few weeks up until the budget on the 6th of March are going to be crucial aren't they
2: well absolutely and seen by many in the party as the last roll of the dice um, before the general election lots of um, jitters in Tory circles, given that the huge giveaway in the autumn statement didn't seem to change the dial at all in terms of the party's dismal polling figures. I think, you know, the five pledges that Rishi Sunak made at the beginning of January 2023 still continue to dog him. You know, he's admitted in recent weeks that he has failed so far to deliver on the promise to cut NHS waiting lists, yes we haven't seen um, inflation figures get worse this week but they're not going kind of continuing to go downwards which is one of his uh, pledges. And of course, growth uh, in the economy is uh, is a third pledge, which you know tomorrow may also um, be contradicted if we hear news of a technical recession. So it does feel on that question of competence that things are looking pretty difficult for him.
0: Mm. And this whole podcast has been a, of a sort of two de horizon. We've discussed politics, we've discussed the economy, but on foreign affairs, I think the most striking thing this week has been about Lord Cameron. He gave a sort of notable turn in the House of Lords yesterday, which is still sitting this week. Talk us through, Lucy, how his position has sort of changed, and the government's position has changed uh, since the massacre of seventh of October on Rafa, you know, Gaza, the Israeli government.
2: Well, I've been very interested watching how David Cameron has shifted the tone um, to be increasingly critical of the Israeli government. Um, at the beginning, after the awful uh, events of October the seventh, the line was very much that you know Israel you know must follow humanitarian law, but has a right to defend itself. The government hasn't resolved from that, but has been increasingly willing under Cameron um, to talk about the importance of a two-state solution, directly contradicting uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, and also um, being critical of Israel's actions in Gaza. And I thought this week in the Lords was really fascinating from David Cameron, making clear that he has personally challenged the Israeli government on some specific incidents. He name-checked uh, a building that was bombed that had UK medics uh, and other charity workers within it. So. Yeah, I think in in many ways it's bearing out what a canny choice Cameron was for that position. He has the self-confidence on the world stage to sort of speak with a sense of moral authority to my mind that I think less experienced politicians might shy away from.
0: And do you think, though, there's any chance perhaps of him deviating at all from Number 10's line on all this, obviously he's someone who has his own political base, hinterland, he doesn't have to, for instance, uh, depend on Sunak for Klaus in a way that some other ministers might have. Do you think there's any kind of difference between uh, Number 10 and the Foreign Office's position on this, or do you think they remain in lockstep?
2: Well, yes, I think there was um, a a gap, a notable gap between what he said in what, you know, we're told were off the cuff remarks Mm. rather than a pre-prepared speech at a gathering of Arab ambassadors in Parliament a couple of weeks ago. He seems to have rode back from then. So it does suggest to me he, you know, he is willing to toe the party line and perhaps... That was a slight mistake in the kind of uh, the way he framed his his views. And yesterday, when he was speaking about it in the House of Lords, he was echoing the language of Number 10 much more closely. So Mm. let's see if there's a second defence on that front.
0: Thank you, Lucy. Thank you, Kate. And thank you for listening to Coffee Hour Shots.